Morning, church. Uh, Today's reading is out of Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have uh, some hardback, cool-looking black Bibles back there. Please feel free to pick one up. That's our gift to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. That I feel like that should be a prayer often. It's just that the Lord would deliver us from email. Yes. <laughs> it's a hearty amen there. Uh, that's so good. Uh, Well, hey, friends, it's good to see you again. Uh, Good to be back with you. Uh, I was able to uh, step in last week. Jake will be in the pulpit next week uh, back, but uh, happy to be here again. Uh, Just if if, uh, you're new here, my name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff, and it's just a joy to be able to gather together and open God's Word uh, with you all. And so if you were here last week or if you got a chance to catch the podcast, you saw us kind of go through, give us this day our daily bread. And, and we see that as that's, there's, a, there's a turn in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer here, where, where Jesus is then uh, giving, giving petitions uh, for us to uh, take to the Father that are more us-centered. The, the prayer started with um, kind of God-centered, God-exalting uh, petitions, and now it's kind of taken a turn towards uh, us coming to our Father uh, as children and asking for uh, for things that we need, so for our daily bread. Uh, and so that was the, we, cuzzle, uh, we covered the physical part of it last week. And then this, this week and next, we'll, we'll cover kind of soul-level spiritual needs. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm just uh, excited to do this. And so uh, today we get to talk a little bit about forgiveness um, and, and what that looks like. And, and, and we've got to remember, for, for the original hearers here, we, we've got to kind of put our original ears on, if you will, and kind of hear this how they would hear this message. And so w- when they hear the message today, which is, again, we're, we're going to be covering uh, forgiveness, which is verse 12, and then, and then kind of we're going to skip over verse 13 and, and hit 14 and 15 as well, where Jesus talks about forgiveness. And, and so I'll, I'll just read 12, 14, and 15 here. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. And so on some level, the original hearers, or not on some level, on a massive level, this prayer is forgiveness of sins. This is the initial salvation that is offered through Jesus. This is a call, a plea, if you will, for God to the Father to bless his people with grace and mercy that he's promised to them based upon his promises. And it certainly means that for us as well. Everyone at some point in, in their life, if they are a believer, we have come to the Father for the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, 
and future. Uh, but there's also uh, some nuances that we've got to walk through first uh, of kind of some, uh, really the structure of, of why Jesus is putting this in here, how, how that meant for them after they had been saved, and then now what that means for us as well. And so uh, we're going to do some, some kind of legwork here. Um, the Bible interprets the Bible, um, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of jump around a lot, and we're going to have to define some, some theological terms so that we're kind of all on the same page. Uh, but I have faith in every single one of you uh, that that you'll be able to understand it better than even I do right now. So uh, when you hear, forgive us our debts, uh, maybe, maybe you grew up with a different translation of the Bible or maybe you've heard different ones. So there's debts, there's trespasses, sins. These are all getting at the same thing. It's a debt that is owed uh, for the offenses against God's sovereignty and his holiness and, and who he is against his glory, right? So offenses, we understand that, that sin uh, is an offense against our holy and righteous God. So God is more holy than, than any of us will ever be able to understand this side of heaven. Like, like, like we cannot fathom how holy and how perfect he is. Right now in the throne room of God, there, there's a repeated chorus that Revelation tells us that, that it never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so anytime the Bible repeats itself, that's, that's obviously a cue for us to really, really clue in. We need to clue in and dial into everything. But when it repeats itself, there, there's really something there that's trying, God's trying to get across. And so um, when, when that repeated phrase, holy, 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 we, we've got to catch that. And so some of you math nerds may remember uh, this from, uh, from it, there's a mathematical operation called exponentiation. I, on the other hand, uh, had to Google the name of that word uh, because I couldn't remember that. I also took remedial math in college that didn't count. So just, if you're like me, a quick refresher. Uh, is basically it's, it's a multiplication operation uh, where it takes a number to the power of another number, right? So uh, four to the power of three is gonna be like four times four times four, and it just kind of keeps going exponentially. Yeah? Okay, so what Revelation 4 is teaching us here is, is that the repetition of holy, the, that holy, 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 it, it's saying holy to the power of holy, or this is holy times holy times holy to get us to understand the magnitude and the massiveness of God's holiness. He, he is holier than our feeble minds can comprehend. And, and because he is more holy than we're able to wrap our minds around, we, we've got to understand that we are more sinful and our sins are more offensive than we can even understand. And if we're honest with ourselves, it won't take us long to understand how sinful we are, right? Like, we, you, I know myself better than anybody else knows me on earth right now. And, and, and so I know my temptations, I know my tendencies, I know my propensities, I know where I struggle and where I, uh, where I don't and, and on and on. But as well as I know myself, and as much as the redeemed part of me wants to kill sin, wants to die to my flesh, uh, there's still the, this, this reality that, that, that my flesh hates God. And, and I still struggle with sin. I also know that my heart is wicked enough to lie to me. It, it, it's, I, I, I know that somewhat of the depths of my sin, but I can't even grasp all of it because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. 
And, and so if God is holier than I can know, then I'm more sinful than even I can, I myself can know myself. Does that make sense? We're good? And therein lies the problem, right? Because God is holy, yet we're sinners, right? And that's like oil and water. That don't mix. You can't clean up mud with a white towel and still call that towel clean, meaning God can't be joined together with evil and still be holy. That's a literal impossibility because, again, that multiplied holiness will never diminish. And so we then find ourselves stuck in the mud, in the mire. We are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins, no hope enough of, of doing enough good deeds to make things right, the things that we've made wrong. Because even Isaiah even says that our, our best deeds are like filthy rags in the perfect and pristine courtroom of God. We all, every one of us, have chosen our own way over God's way. We've fallen short of his glory. And Romans 6 tells us that the work that we do is like sin. sin we do sin as a job. And, and, and that's our work. And the wages we receive, the paycheck, is death. That's what we deserve forever and always. Separation from God for eternity. Because we work towards sin. We, we work towards that like it's our retirement plan. All the while, helpless and hopeless with the record of debt stacking up and our offenses against God maturing with each passing minute. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. Because you see, the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the light of the world, wrapped himself in flesh, and he stepped down into the mess. Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth for 33 years and never once offended the holiness of God, never once chose his own way over the Father's. He never once fell short. He lived the perfect life and then was unjustly and illegally sentenced to die a sinner's death, being crucified on a cross. So what what happens in that moment is massive for where we're going. Because we're gonna talk, again, we're we're gonna talk and define a few theological terms here so that we can, again, kind of have a better understanding. And we'll, we'll put the terms up as we get to them. So again, the Bible interprets the Bible. We're gonna jump around a little bit. So sinless Jesus receives a sinner's punishment. And what does that mean for his people? Well, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so we've got to understand this. Christ became sin and, and in his punishing execution, he sacrificed himself on behalf of his people. This is called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning the legal penalty of sin. That's all that means. Uh, and then substitutionary meaning Jesus, the undeserving, traded places with us, the deserving, who, uh, who deserve that penalty. And then you'll remember this from our Ezra sermon series, that atonement means offering something to pay back for a wrong that leads to reconciliation. 
penal substitutionary atonement. So Jesus was punished with death instead of God's people. And in so doing, he absorbed that penalty. He absorbed the wrath of God against sin for his people, absorbed that, and then made peace by the blood of his cross. And the fact that he rose again in the tomb is empty is proof that the payment was acceptable. Okay, we're still good? We're good with that? That's the Sermon on the Mount thing. Okay, great. Okay, now the second part of 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says that the reason that Christ made penal substitutionary atonement was so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now this one is called imputed righteousness. Okay, and it's as if Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. And this is what enables justification, okay? So justification, stick with me just a little bit longer. Justification is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. So what does this mean? This means if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been rescued, redeemed, had a restored and renewed heart, then this is true for you. Christ made atonement for your sins. And at the moment that the Holy Spirit opened the eyes and ears of your heart to hear and see and believe the gospel of Jesus, it was right then that his righteousness was credited to you, uh, your account. And at that very moment, you were declared justified in the eyes of God the Father. Does that make sense? We're still good? Okay. At this point, you are probably asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? Uh, and I'm so glad you asked this because we're gonna talk about it. So when we ask for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, we've got to understand our position before a holy and righteous God, right? We've got to understand that or else some things can get really out of whack really quickly. So when Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and then repeats some of it and goes back and kind of goes more into it at the end of the prayer, he goes and says, if you forgive others, the Father will forgive you, but if you don't, then neither will the Father forgive you. It's so, so, so important for us to understand and realize that he's not talking about justification here for the believer, okay? That's not what he is talking about. I remember one time I was, I was walking downtown uh, one night and, and found myself in a conversation with a guy who was out street evangelizing. Um, it's where all good debates are solved uh, there in the comment section of the internet. Uh, and so, so we're in there and, and he's trying to argue from scripture that, that if you do not ask for forgiveness for every single sin that you commit, as, right after you commit it, then you're not gonna be forgiven. So the, the example that he was using is that if you're driving and you say something you shouldn't right before you get in a car wreck and die, and you didn't get a chance to forgive that or to ask for forgiveness of that, it's like you were unforgiven and you would therefore likely spend an eternity in hell. And, and how is that not just a works-based gospel? How is that not just adding to the cross? Jesus, when he tells us to pray for forgiveness, he's not talking about a salvation and justification for us. Although yes, again, every single one of us is sinful and needs to pray for forgiveness. Yes and amen in order for us to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus. However, if we read these instructions as though we're being kicked out of the family of God, 
Every time we sin and we won't be brought back in until into the fold until we ask for forgiveness, that's just horrible theology. That's, we can't pray like that. We can't have that understanding of our, of our position with God. I'm gonna just fly through real quickly a load of scriptures here. Um, that talk about justification being immediate. So we'll start with Colossians 2.13. God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through Jesus. Romans 5.9, we have now been justified by his blood. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 10.10. Romans is really good on justification. Romans 10.10, with the heart one believes and is justified. And so no, Jesus is not only talking about forgiveness leading to justification here. He is, however, instructing us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And so there are two kind of major things that I want us to see here. The first one is this, forgiveness needs to be sought in order for relational reconciliation. And then the second thing, forgiveness of others is the proof that we have been forgiven. And so we'll talk about these things, uh, each one individually, just very briefly. So forgiveness needs to be sought in order for relational reconciliation between the Christian and God. So if you think about any relationship, you think about uh, a, a husband and wife or friends or uh, a parent and a child, uh, there can be offenses in those relationships that need to be reconciled, right? There, there can be one person can offend the other or sin against the other, or it can happen at the same time. And whatever happens in that moment, the, the relationship is, is still there for the most part. It's still there. The husband and wife are still married. Those people are still friends, but there's something relationally that's like, this is off. And so there needs to be that seeking of forgiveness and that talking through that problem for that relational uh, reconciliation there. And and the same uh, can be true for us because it's not as though we, as being Christians, it's not as though, although we've been atoned for right now, we stand blameless and justified by the righteousness of Christ in the Father's eyes. But, but that doesn't mean that we don't still sin, right? We still sin. Of course, it doesn't mean that. First John 1, 8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we ask, has that sin been paid for? Yes, it was nailed to the cross of Christ forever and always. Should we still be grieved by and repent over that sin? Yes. Absolutely. Confessing and turning from our sin draws us closer to the Lord. And the more that we learn of his grace and his mercy, and the more that we understand about the cost that Christ paid for us in order for us to be ransomed and redeemed, the stronger that relationship grows. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so here is where we come to a term called sanctification, which just means it's the ongoing process of the believer continually being molded more and more into the image of Christ, into the image of Jesus, while we're still kind of in this already but not yet state of being, right? We are both sinner and saint, right? 
We're that, we're that holy, righteous, ratchet squad, is how King's Kaleidoscope would say it. So listen, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says it almost as good as King's Kaleidoscope. He says this, who is the man who can pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? He is the man who has already has a right to say, our father. And the only man who has the right to say our father is the one who in Christ Jesus, who is in Christ Jesus. It is not a prayer for just anybody, but only for those who have become the children of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the relationship of the child to the father. And the moment we realize we have offended or grieved or sinned against the father, we confess it and ask to be forgiven. And we are sure that we are forgiven. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and that, that's the first thing we need to understand is our asking for forgiveness grows us in our sanctification. And it grows us in our, it helps strengthen our relationship with our God. And then the second thing is that our forgiving, our, our forgiving others is proof and, and shows uh, the proof that we ourselves have been forgiven. Again, Lloyd-Jones helps us here. He says, the man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. If we really know Christ as our savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard and we cannot refuse forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. And we are called to then gladly forgive others because of God's graciousness towards us. The more we grow into mature Christians, the more we grow in our awareness of the sin in our lives that has been forgiven by the Father. And as we grow in our understanding of what we've been forgiven, then, then we can and we should more freely forgive others. Listen to this parable from Jesus that he tells later in Matthew. It's in Matthew 18. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It starts like this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. When we do not forgive others, when, when, we, when we hold people hostage for the wrongs that they have committed against us, what we are actually saying is that the wrongs that they've committed against us, the sins that they have so gravely sinned against us, they are undeserving of our forgiveness. And friends, we cannot do that. As hard as it is, we cannot do that. We are far less deserving of the forgiveness that we've received from God. Commentator Matthew Henry says this, what reason is it that God should forgive us the talents when we are indebted to him if we forgive not our brethren the pence they are indebted to us? Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker, not only to reconcile us to God, but to one another. And in this, we must comply. When, we're, when we are unwilling to walk the road to forgiveness, when we are unwilling to do that, we keep strife and disunity in our hearts. And we place ourselves, or we try to place ourselves in the judgment seat. We want vengeance. We, we want revenge of what has happened against us. We want them to pay for what they've done. And this is where we must trust in the Lord's justice and must submit to his ways. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says this, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. We've got to trust that if we have been forgiven by God, then we are his children. And any wrongdoing against the family of God is wrongdoing against him. And no evil will go unpunished. No sin will go unpaid for. It will either be paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ or by those who reject God and pay with their eternal lives in hell. Either way, that is not ours to collect. It's God's. It belongs to him. We are to forgive and trust that the Lord is good and that he does good. There have been a few stories over the past couple of years uh, of just really incredible uh, forgiveness. You may remember when um, a young black man, Botham John, was uh, in his apartment in Dallas and, and an off-duty police officer, Amber Geiger, went into uh, what she thought was her apartment. She went into the wrong apartment and shot both of them th thinking that he was an intruder. 
And it, man, if you have time to, to go watch this video of, of Brant John, uh, uh, Botham's brother in court, um, offering forgiveness to Amber Geiger. It, it, it is incredible. The, the, his words that he offers forgiveness. He, he encourages her to turn to the Lord. He forgives her and he asks the judge if he can give her a hug and they hug tightly. It, it's, it's incredibly powerful if you have a second to check that out. But another example uh, was Rachel Denhollander uh, as she read uh, a statement in court to Larry Nasser, a doctor who uh, was on trial for grooming and abusing hundreds of gymnasts over many, many years. And so I was just gonna read uh, a few excerpts from Rachel's statement because I think it, is, it portrays the gospel so just beautifully. She says this to Larry. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed, portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay the penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Rachel experienced horrific things at the hand of Larry, and she found healing in the gospel of Jesus. She and Brant John chose forgiveness because they understood what they had been forgiven by the Father. And so, now I'm not so naive to think that there are not those of us in here who have experienced really atrocious things. You need to hear me say this. What happened to you was wrong. It was not your fault and God is not apathetic towards it. No evil will go unpunished. And I also want you to know that Northbrook Church, we are here to walk with you. I think far too often the church has wielded forgiveness as a weapon and it has added more harm than good. Because forgiveness is not just a linear straight line and it is not something that is just immediate a lot of times. Praise God, it, it can be. He can give that, but, but it is a long and winding road at times. And can I just encourage us, we're, let's walk that road together. Let's, let's walk this road as family, as brothers and sisters. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, we're here for you. We want to walk with you in that because we trust that God's ways are higher 
And we trust that he cares about that more than we could even care for it. He loves you and cares for you. We wanna walk towards healing with you. And so maybe you need to forgive someone else. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. I've been in that position before where I cannot believe that I did something. That's something I can never forgive myself for that. That's the same thing. That's, that's the same thing. Again, that's us climbing into the judgment seat and saying, I can't forgive myself for something that God forgave me for. And we got to walk in that forgiveness. Wherever we find ourselves of needing to forgive, maybe needing to seek forgiveness from someone else, as we look to the Lord, we grow in our understanding of forgiveness. And, and we grow not in, only in our ability to forgive, but also in our desire to forgive and our desire to forgive others as freely as we ourselves have been forgiven. And so, brothers and sisters, Northbrook, no matter how long or short the journey, may we always be willing to walk the road of forgiveness. And may God be glorified in us as he is, as, May we always be willing to walk the road of forgiveness and may God be glorified in us as his forgiveness guides the way. Spirit, help us. Let's pray together. God, I just am reminded of all that you have forgiven Lord, I think back on my life, on many, many decades of trying to love you, but running from you, chasing after sin, chasing after pleasures that are not to be chased after, offending your holiness and your glory. Yet while I was still a sinner, Christ, you, you knew and you chose to walk that road. You paid the price for forgiveness, Jesus. And I cannot fathom the weight of that. The, the weight of even my sins is crushing. I cannot carry. Yet you, Jesus, for your brothers and your sisters, you bore that weight. Spirit, would you help us to grow in our understanding of what we have been forgiven? And Lord, when the enemy tries to tempt us and remind us of things that we have done, may we look at those not with shame. May we look at those not with primarily regret, Lord, but may we put a price tag on those and know that it was paid for by the blood of Jesus. And then, Spirit, would you enable us to forgive others, to, to not be trapped or imprisoned 
by the weight of, of wanting vengeance, of wanting revenge, of, of needing to be justified in, in our own eyes, God, would it be enough that we are justified in you? Would you grow us in our understanding and would you help us to freely let go? God, what, what would radical forgiveness look like for us? How, how much more would you be honored and glorified in our lives and in this church, in this city? God, if we were a people that were quick to forgive. Lord, trusting that all evil will be repaid and it is not ours because we do not deserve your grace. Yet you freely gave and Lord, you look upon us and we are forgiven freely and forever. So may we be good stewards of your forgiveness, Lord, as we delve it out. Would you help us, Lord? Would you, would you heal us? We, we, we are hurt, Lord. And we trust that, Jesus, you meet us in that hurt. We trust that you can, you can understand because, Lord Jesus, you were the only innocent, undeserving person. And so may, may we find peace and refuge in you, O oh God. Spirit, this is not a work that we can do on our own. You've got to help us, and we beg that you would, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, God. And it's through Christ that we live and that we pray. Amen.